what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. This episode of The Caregiver Community is sponsored by Pace at Home. During this uncertain time, Pace at Home is enrolling participants who wish to continue to remain at home. Partnering with families, Pace at Home provides caring medical support for all of our program's participants. Visit us on our website or give us a call at 828-468-3980 to talk with a representative that can discuss with you the Pace at Home all-inclusive medical approach. Pace at Home is the champion for seniors wishing to remain in their community. Welcome to the Caregiver Community. This is a place where we talk about the joys and the challenges of caring for our aging parents as well as caring for ourselves. I'm Frances Hall, founder and executive director of ACAP Community, the community of adult children of aging parents. There are now an estimated 20 million adult children in the United States and many more millions worldwide who are caring for aging parents and concerned about their own life as they age. In this segment, we're talking about social support networks, providing care with style while facing new challenges and opportunities. Dr. Althea Taylor-Jones, our interviewee, is a retired professor of gerontology at Winston-Salem State University and has a long list of accomplishments and awards. She is the president-elect of the Southern Gerontological Society. She also is the former speaker pro tempore, former speaker and current Forsyth County delegate to the North Carolina Senior Tar Hill Legislature. And she was recognized with the Governor's Award from the North Carolina Human Relations Commission for outstanding service to the Winston-Salem community and the betterment of human relations among people in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Dr. TJ, we are delighted to have you with us. Welcome. In addition to Dr. Taylor, we also are delighted to have Alexis Richmond, the co-interviewer with me for this podcast. Alexis is a junior gerontology major at Winston-Salem State University and the mother of a one-year-old. Alexis is interning this semester with ACAP, so she has a very full schedule. Hi, Alexis. I hope you got some sleep last night. We really did. We really did. Good. Dr. TJ, probably most of us recognize that our physical and mental health are directly related to how we manage stress and that strong social supports contribute to our well-being. But you have said some things that particularly caught my attention. You commented that research has begun to recognize that supportive networks among African-American elders may differ in some important ways from those of other races, and that social constraints such as discrimination have made the conduct of social support of minority populations distinct from what is routinely studied in white populations. You also said that while considerable research attention has been given to social supports, most of the work neglects consideration of both the context within which social support is activated and the cognitive processes through which people mobilize and evaluate supportive interactions, especially during an unexpected health crisis, sort of like the pandemic. 
So let's unpack some of that. That's some. That's a lot right there. But let's unpack some of that. Let's start with whom do caregivers identify as members of their network of most supportive others? Okay, good morning. And it's certainly great to be with you guys this morning, uh, sitting here looking out this window at the beautiful sunshine and looking forward to what we can can do for the day, get into a little more trouble, so to speak. <laughs> there you go. I want to thank you for, for inviting me and for asking me to do this podcast with ACAP this morning. Before I approach that, I just wanted to say... Uh, kind of give a little definition of most supportive others. Most supportive others are, we look at it as being those persons providing support without coercion or promise of a reward or an incentive. In other words, they're not expecting anything in return. And and when we look at the members of the network, members of the network include a plethora of uh, individuals, Um, not only individuals, but also organizations and uh, agencies, so to speak. We find that most of the network um, supportive others include spouses, the husband or the wife. I've had some of my um, research persons to tell me that my husband is always there for me and he's always doing things that help me. Uh, He never says no, regardless to whatever it is that I need, he's there for me. Many times maybe not wanting to perform the task, but doing that because that's what he is supposed to do, so to speak. Uh, I had one to say that my wife supports me more than anyone else. She's there. And we also include, uh, as I said, other persons, other individuals or groups, such as siblings, sisters and brothers are included in that network. Uh, They listen and they assist whenever and whatever, you know, they need to do. We can look at that uh, particular network of supportive others and find that the daughter or other female members of that network basically are the ones that are there, although I'm not saying that the sons are not included and don't provide support. But according to research, gender is a major influence on support. And women report that they use support networks more than do men. And women also report the use of religious coping resources more frequently than than men. Current statistics also show that uh, church memberships are largely female and women are more actively engaged or involved in the church network than men. And additionally, the majority of caregivers we know are female. Moreover, both women and men have more women in their social support network as well. And women provide more support to a wider variety of people than do men. And we could look at the characteristics of uh, men and women. Personalities are different and could attribute part of that to that. But just looking at the networks, there are more females. The networks are larger because of the females in the network in general or larger group or more groups, I should say, of people such as family and friends, uh, co-workers, support groups, and even to the point of having individuals in the network that we call just like my sister, just like my cousin, just like my aunt, so to speak. And they're not necessarily uh, biologically related. It could be the neighbor next door, or it could be the neighbor down the street. It could be someone, a friend from childhood and so forth and so on. So when we look at that, those are persons that are involved in the network of most supportive others. 
friends from childhood, as I said, possibly a coworker from the office or wherever you're working, uh, more than the next door neighbor, so to speak, uh, reaching out, expanding over to the next street when I talk about the neighborhood or the neighbor, not necessarily just the one next door that you can look out the window at and speak with on a regular basis. In other words, they're expanding the turf. I love I love an educator because you bring the statistics, you bring the research, and, and you bring just such a great definition. Thank you. You're welcome. So that was some very good information, Dr. TJ. Um, so I just want to interject and let you know that we are discussing this, this now in one of my courses. So um, it's very exciting just to hear it over again and just to... Um, hear it from someone else. So I do have a question for you. Um, what are some meanings that caregivers ascribe to the relationships? Wow. And those are expanding each time we investigate. Uh, some of the ones that uh, I found were building enduring relationships or, or, endear, or endearing, I should say, connections. Uh, looking at Bringing in more relationships, as I mentioned earlier, um, I grew up with like my sister, like my brother, like my aunt, like my, my uncle and so forth and so on. But they're building even more enduring relationships to that. Another, you know, another person in the family. This is like a long lost cousin that I've found from another another group of my ancestors, so to speak. This is someone that was out there that uh, was available and ready to work, but I had no clue that she was there. And now that I have met her, she is a part of my network and I can include her in those personal things that I want to connect her with. Fostering closeness, getting closer to individuals. Maybe there's a cousin. Maybe there's a cousin that uh, is not so closely connected, but we're going to foster the closeness with her and bring her into the network so that we can include her in that group as well. So when we're looking at the, um, the meanings that they ascribe to the relationships, listening, a good listener. This is a person that will listen. This is a person that will not only listen, but they will also give me feedback and we can make that connection, make the relationship closer and going back, making it more endearing. Uh, this is someone that will pray with me and pray for me, someone that I can count on, that I can relate to, that I don't mind opening up to and sharing what I need to share. Demonstrating personal worthiness that this is an individual with the worth and with the value that I can utilize to help me with that caregiving responsibility that I have. In other words, I can leave this person home with mom, or I can leave this person home with dad, and I can go to the grocery store, or I can go to my doctor's appointment, or I can just get out and go walking in the park. And I know that that individual will take good care of my loved one while I'm away. And they're going to be dependable as well. Being dependable is, is another um, meaning. I can call up and I can say, I need you at 2 p.m. in the afternoon. And I don't have to worry about waiting until 2.33 and no one shows. I can depend on that individual that if they have a connection and they have something that they need to provide for me, they're going to be there when it's time to get it done. And the trustworthiness um, meaning that I don't have to worry about mom. They're, she's not going to take advantage of mom. She's not going to injure mom. She's not going to walk out when mom becomes... Uh, at the point where she can't really relate and become angry. She's not going to hurt mom. She's going to deal with what the problem is at that point in time and help mom to calm down. So I know that I can trust her to do that. Respectfulness is something else where 
I respect what's going on in your situation. I respect what's going on in your family. I'm not going to go outside of your family and share your experiences, share the problems, the issues that you're encountering with anyone else. And then, of course, we can when we talk about those persons that have been involved and they're no longer there, they were there for five years and possibly have passed on or moved on, moved to another city, another state or what have you. But they're leaving those loving memories that uh, that were there. Mom loved her. Dad loved her. Dad talks about what she did for him and how he connected his other his other daughter, his other mom does the same. So therefore, they're passing the torch and passing it on and not only just passing it to their generation, but they're passing it to the next generation, passing it to possibly their children, their grandchildren, their great grandchildren. They're sharing those experiences. And in the process of doing that, another one is teaching valuable lessons. You're teaching an individual how important it is to relate to another individual. You're teaching them that they have the dignity, that they they have that they should have the respectful regardless of what the situation is. We find that so many times people that are uh, having the challenges of Alzheimer's or they're, they're having the challenges of dementia and other types of issues that they don't understand, that they become very frustrated and, and at many times they become very, very angry, very physically uh, engaging. So we need to make sure that we're teaching the younger generations how to approach and how to diffuse those types of situations in a loving and respectful manner. So those are the generational trend uh, traditions, I should say, and the values that are being passed on from generation to generation. So when we're talking about this plethora of meanings, it goes on and on and on. You, this is such good information. I can, you know, as you were talking, Dr. TJ, I remembered a woman when my when my mother was caring for her mother, and this was back in the eighties. So before um, uh, before internet or any of that sort of additional support, um, but I remember that there was one woman who came just to be with my mother, you know, just to sit with her when she would have, you know, that five minutes to that she could step away from caring, you know, immediately for grandma. So yeah, this is this is important stuff. What beliefs motivate caregivers' use of support typically? In in a classic research study, I'll just share that with you. Uh, dealing with stress, appraisal, and coping, uh, and you're probably familiar with this. Uh, Lazarus and Folkman, their study back in 1984, uh, stated that beliefs are personally formed and culturally shared. Cognitive cognitive configuration, so to speak, are pre-existing notions about reality. The fir- they further contend that beliefs give both, or, or I should say birth at, rather than both, it gives birth to, and not only give birth to, but nurture those actions that guide their ideas. And they drive individuals to an understanding of a meaning of these ideas. So when we look at that, our beliefs determine what coping resources will be tapped into at any given time when we need those coping uh, resources. So beliefs are also serve as a basis for hope. We, you talked about the joy and the hope of caregiving. They serve as a basis for hope and are considered a valuable resource for coping with crises and adversities. So some of the beliefs were the presence of God, uh, practicing rituals, rituals such as praying, rituals such as following family rules, uh, going to 
religious services, going to Sunday church school, going to Bible study, attending the Bible study, and, and really becoming engaged in those activities such that that these, these meanings that I talked about earlier uh, took further root as well as crafted the different um, religious beliefs and, and the different uh, beliefs, other beliefs that they have. Abiding by Christian principles uh, was one. And when, when they talked about abiding by Christian principles, we're talking about, um, many of us remember, do unto others as you have them to do unto you. In other words, doing unto others, um, doing treating people the way you want to be treated. And that goes back to what I said earlier about um, an individual with Alzheimer's or dementia or someone that loses control because they can't quite understand what's going on. And the only way they know how to retaliate is to fight. And in many cases, it's physical. When we look at that doing unto others, um, if that is an issue for someone, not retaliating by, and we notice, unfortunately, that there are bruises on people, there are, uh, you know, there are black eyes, there are all kinds of things that we see from some of the persons that care has been provided for, and that's the retaliation because that the caregiver becomes too frustrated as well. That is not what we're talking about. We're talking about would you want a black eye, would you want a bruised lip, would you want a broken nose or what have you. So when we're doing unto others, we're doing those kind and loving things that we want to receive from others as well. And then, of course, if we're looking at the Christian principles and falling back to the Bible and so forth, that's what it tells us to do. And if we're following the commandments and following the rules, then we're doing what we need to do. And the other, another belief or, or uh, I should say is training up a child, train the next generation, train all generations, how they are to relate to, how they are to respond to situations. Then when they're confronted with them, they have all that they need to begin to work with it. Concern for others, looking out for each other, not being selfish, but being selfless, uh, looking toward other people, providing things for them, not just what, what is it? What am I going to get out of it? You know, the old with it principle, what's in it for me? And some of us, we've heard that as well. But we're honoring uh, their, what, what their needs are and looking to them to help them get those needs met. And we're also looking out for each other as well as ourselves. Honoring their privacy, that's another uh, strong belief. Caring from a distance is, is something that... Uh, and is involved in that as well. And I'll share with you, um, caring from a distance, I, one of my sisters, I've lost two sisters to colon cancer. Um, I'm the eldest of, of nine children. I'd say 10 children, actually, because after my mom passed away, my dad remarried and his second wife has a daughter. So there's 10 of us, uh, not biological, but there are 10 of us. And she's the younger sister. So when I think about that, caring for one of my sisters who passed away from colon cancer at the age of 57, bless her heart, down in Memphis, Tennessee, some years ago, I took some time off from my job and whatever else I was doing at the time to go and, and provide for her her last four or five months to take care of her and be there with her. So first of all, it was it was caring from a distance because I worked in North Carolina, lived in North Carolina, helped her to to fashion or craft her power of attorney, her health care power of attorney, her living will, last will and testament, all those documents from North Carolina. She was in Tennessee. The laws are so different. It, it, it scares you at times. But caring from a distance can also be be one of the uh, parts to honoring the privacy 
a belief in honoring privacy. I had all of her information, had all every, her life was in my hands. So when we're talking about honoring the privacy of individuals and not sharing that with other people, not betraying their confidence, so to speak, those are a lot of the things that go, go into uh, the belief system. So when we're looking at the presence of God, practicing those rituals and so forth and so on, family unity is another one in, ter in terms of intergenerational connections, uh, aged wisdom is another belief. And when I talk about aged wisdom, I'm talking about seeking and accepting those lived experiences and that wise counsel from our elders. They've been here longer than we have. They have more experiences than we do. Why should we discount anything that we can learn from our elders? And I often told my children that and my grandchildren, and now we have great-grands, and I will begin to tell them that as well. Listen. Listen to your parents. Listen to your grandparents. Listen to your aunts and your uncles. They're older. They're more experienced, and they've been there, done that. You've heard that that expression as well so and then not only that but as I mentioned earlier like family is another belief including extended families those friends and neighbors and so forth that I mentioned like my sister like my brother and so forth and the days pass and gone that's another belief too changes in personality and changes in character of people of our neighbors as well as our neighborhoods so to speak can we visit with each other can we share chores can we do things for each other do we do those favors that we once did and offer assistance I grew up on the farm in western Tennessee see everybody was family anyone that came down that dirt road was a member of my family and I often asked I said well my school teachers were my family as well when I got home if there was any type of negative negative activity that happened while I was in school how did mom know that we didn't have a telephone so <laughs> and then too not only that but if there was something that was not quite as positive as it should have been. The neighbor across the road, we didn't have the street, so it was across the road or down the road or over at the next farm or wherever. They, they, this woman was my mother. This man was my dad. They provided and, and actually enforced the discipline that I needed at that time. So when we're talking about those days that are past and gone, that's one belief that I hang on to. We need to. So many times now, families don't want you getting involved with their children. The children are the ones that are running the families as opposed to the parents. And unfortunately, when it comes to caregiving, particularly for our aging parents, if we don't have that in our repertoire, then we have lost a lot that we need to provide the positive care for them. That's, that's, a, that's a, yes, yes. That's I, a, Go ahead. That's those are just a few of the beliefs that uh, that that we've discovered. That that ending one is that that, that whole village concept that it takes a child. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. And the village is growing and growing and growing and should be, particularly now, because when we talk about all the geographical issues that we have to deal with, I can only imagine, uh, as I said, I ended up going from North Carolina to Memphis to take care of my sister. And we're talking about, you know, over a 600 mile trip, so to speak. And uh, and I refused to, to ride the train or to fly or whatever. I got in my car, packed what I needed and needed to take the long trip so that I could get myself together on the way. I refused to stop overnight like we usually did when we visited with family going all the way down 
West Tennessee. I drove the entire distance, 12 plus hours. I would stop at rest stops and kind of do what I needed to do to gain my composure, but get back in that car and think and talk and plan on my way there so that once I arrived, I was in shape to do what I needed to do. And so much of that um, do unto others as we would have them do unto us, um, that, that is just a universal truth. Yes. Yes. You know, it certainly is embedded in the Christian faith, but it yes. is embedded, you know, in possibly different words, but the same sentiment in all faiths. Yes, yes. But we have gotten away from that. So many individuals have gotten away from that. Uh, it's me, myself, and I. Not he, she, we. <laughs> yeah. Um, I enjoyed this discussion very much. So I just want to touch base on a few things that you discussed. Um, um, I believe you said something about doing to others as you want done to them regarding um, people with Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. I actually mm-hmm. used to work in a facility, um, and every morning um, I worked on the memory care side. So on the other side, there were um, some patients that had small signs of Alzheimer's, but they weren't bad, bad enough to be put on the memory care side. So every morning I would go on the other side of the facility and um, I would talk to this one woman and she would be like, well, can you just give me my coffee this morning? I just need my coffee this morning. And it would be every morning. Mm-hmm. So that would be our little routine in the morning. I... And that was like the sweetest thing ever. Yes. And the the way I was sweet to her, she was sweet to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, yes, and and that was so important to her. Remembering back, possibly twenty, thirty, forty, and and the long term memory is what hangs there. So she probably remembered sitting with someone or talking with someone, or, or not necessarily, but needing to sit and needing to talk, not getting what she needed. But here you are right there to give her possibly to meet some need that was never met and you never know. So that that's perfect. That, that was great. Keep doing that. Keep doing that. Um, and I also want to speak on, it takes a village to raise a child. I'm a single mother of one and it's not easy. So, no. I mean, I could only imagine um, if someone was to have more than one child and they were a single mother. Yes. So it really does take a village to raise a child. Um, but I do want to pose a question to you, and that is how do caregivers evaluate the consequences of supportive interactions and the impact of well-being, such as stress and coping strategies? Okay. Uh, when we talk about, you know, an overall uh, positive sense of well-being is the major or significant value of supportive interactions. And as I mentioned earlier, with stress and coping, reaching out to others uh, leads to comfort to um, compensate for limitations. If there's something we can't do, we, we need help with doing, we, we're limited to a point. And look at other restrictions also that are possibly connected to providing care. We need to look from a standpoint of interdependence, looking at those interdependent interactions that lends energy to caregiving, uh, looking at collective In other words, working with others, working with other individuals, making sure that we're pulling that village together. Shared fellowships like with the family, with the friends, with the church members and social groups and so forth. Some things that we're talking about in terms of stress and coping can even can even be as simple as having breakfast with a friend. Um, 
with a church member. Uh, there was a group of uh, individuals that I was connected with some years ago, and it, one was a pastor, not my husband. He was a pastor, but not him. It was another pastor that would go to breakfast with three of his parishioners. They connected with him and asked if he would do that. He and his wife, of course, would go to breakfast with the parishioners. They had a weekly routine. Every Tuesday or every Wednesday or every Thursday morning, they would meet at a certain restaurant and they would have breakfast together. They would, would, would just basically not necessarily deal with religious issues, but just person to person, dealing with those personal things that they needed to just talk about, just as they say, small talk or small conversations, talk about family, talk about whatever they needed to talk about. Even to the point where the owner of the restaurant reserved their table for them every week because he knew that they were coming and that that was a group that he was going to count on. He wanted to make sure that they were comfortable when they arrived. So that's one small, simple thing we tend to forget. That's a way of dealing with stress. That's a way of coping. That's a way of getting rid of some of those negative interactions that we're dealing with. And, and of course, I mentioned praying with and praying for. That's always on the forefront, interceding for each other, uh, voicing our and, and giving encouraging words to each other meeting social uh, settings, in social settings. Another thing that I find that is very helpful too, if you belong to a social group, like a sorority or a fraternity or a civic group or what have you, a Bible class, as I said earlier, or a Sunday school class, then a bridge club, even, even playing cards, working puzzles, getting together, quilting clubs, Women get together in quilting clubs, and you talk about relieving stress, uh, a knitting club, a painting club, what have you, but just meeting with other people and where you're able to share in a very confidential situation, and you're getting the rewards because you're relieving that stress while you're there, even, even Zooming. Meeting on Zoom. I meet with some people one-on-one -on, -one on Zoom just for them to talk, just for them to see me, just for them to have an interaction. You know, you know we're being held hostage, don't you, by this pandemic. <laughs> That's what I tell people. I said, I feel as though I'm being held hostage at home a lot because I'm a touchy-feeling, get-out-and-go person, um, need to be around people. So being held hostage, but I enjoy meeting with people on Zoom seeing them, also just talking on the telephone to those that don't have access to, to the computer. And Skype is another way it can be done. FaceTime on the cell phone. Those are things that people can do to relieve the stress. And then someone mentioned, well, you know, I feel so blessed because I have that outreach from other people. I have the ability to, to do for other people, sharing my knowledge, sharing my skills, sharing whatever I have to offer. And it goes back to what I said earlier getting rid of the selfishness and looking at the selflessness where we're sharing with other people. A general satisfaction with life also is something that was mentioned and that we can deal with in terms of stress and coping. No complaints, stop complaining. Well, we all have a lot to complain about. We all can look at things that we consider negative. But why use up all the energy with the negative things that you could be investing in those that are positive, not only to help us grow, but to help others grow as well. And with that faith and trust in God, an example, I'll give you an example. A gentleman mentioned that he was struggling with, uh, with, with trying to get uh, something done. And he says, and this, this is a quote from him. He indicated that he was somewhat satisfied because there are things that he wanted to do 
But he also mentioned that he wanted to reach out to help others. And he reached out, but didn't think that he was reaching out far enough. And this is what he said to me. And he went on to say that uh, and gave this statement. He says, well, you know, Booker Washington was out there in the ocean and he said that he needed some some water. And so he sent a message to shore saying, send someone out. We need fresh water. He said, but you know what the message was? He said, the message that came back was let down your bucket where you are. He says, right down in the middle of the ocean was a stream of fresh water. He had no idea that there was that stream of fresh water and that all he had to do was put his bucket down in order to save himself. So, so the overarching message here is that many times we get in a spot and we don't know where to go and we encounter turmoil and stress. And he said, the solution is let your bucket down where you are. So positive, not complaining, getting the best you can from what's there, making it more positive. And of course, another coping strategy is the ability to change. Um, life circumstances often require us to accept and cope with our illnesses, with diminishing thought processes, with restricted mobility, and so on and so on. But we have to keep connected so that we have the awareness of when and how to make the necessary adjustments that tend to impact our well-being, whether it's positive or whether it's negative. So to accomplish this goal, um, these are four components that must be an integral part of the adjustment process. One is acceptance. In advancements, we accept it as well as declines. For example, not letting too many things distract us from the positive. I mentioned that earlier. Don't let anything, uh, and, and one of the one of my uh, research individuals mentioned, she said, you know, I don't let anybody else's legs hurt as good as mine. And if you, if you listen, I don't let anybody else's legs hurt as good as mine. What is she saying here? What is she saying? <laughs> yes, I have the pain. Yes, I have to deal with that. But that's what I'm dealing with, and I'm not going to let that distract me from doing what I need to do. You can't hurt any worse than me, and I'm not going to let that happen. I take the trophy. I take the trophy for that, so I'm going to do that. Poor vision was another one that was mentioned, uh, the night driving, one of the individuals that I worked with in the past. And I said to her, I said, well, you know, if you can't see at night, drive during the day. And she thought about that thing and she said, wow, I had never thought about that. Why should I pressure myself with going where I need to go during the night when I can go during the day? And even if I need to get someone to come in and stay with mom, stay with dad for an hour, get out during the day. And this is when you can get out. And as I said earlier, go to the grocery store, go to the doctor's appointment, even go walking in the park walking at, at the gym or wherever you're going to get that personal connection. Make those adjustments. Many times we don't think of them because things are so negative that we refuse to go beyond the negative. The second one is gratitude, mobility and independence, uh, more so interdependence, where we're connecting or collaborating with other people and be grateful that we can move and that we can connect with someone else as far as that interdependence is concerned. Have another brain or have another thought pattern going from someone else, not just alone. Connect and have other people in that network. The third one is not worrying or complaining. And I mentioned that earlier, 
going on. Neither worrying nor complaining are profitable or positive, neither one. So don't worry or complain about what could have been or what should have been. We must expend our energy to leave the past behind and keep moving forward. What can I do? Not what I could not do, what I have not been able to do, but how can I fashion it such that I will be able to do it? And of course, the fourth one is taking pride and giving back. When we talk about the past and present supportive experiences, that exudes a sense of self-worth and merit as well. So sometimes even in spite of some seemingly um, insurmountable odds or obstacles or pitfalls, giving back is very healing, very rewarding. Another very rewarding source of pride and giving back is realized through volunteerism. Francis asked me earlier, how do you do all that you do? <laughs> do you ever sleep? Do you ever do whatever? Giving, giving, giving. So much has been given to me. And I'm not talking about material things. I'm talking about those joyful, those, those things that are connecting, that drove me to be accepting, drove me to have gratitude, drove me to take pride and, and to, to give back to other people. Then I feel that, in fact, I mentioned to someone, I said, you know, if I don't do what I need to do, the good Lord's going to kick my butt. Now, that's exactly what I told them. I don't want to be kicked by, in the butt by the good Lord. So, maybe, maybe that's not... <laughs> <laughs> necessarily something that someone else would say, but that's what that's how I felt. He has given me skills. He has given me experiences. He has given me knowledge, and they all were not for Althea. He gave me that to share with other people, and that takes us back to do for others in the community, in the church, with an agency, with an organization, volunteering at the hospital. Some people do that or other entities. So so when we look at all of that, you know, you work at it. The work will likely be somewhat challenging at times, but not too difficult, because if we don't dwell on the negative long enough, then we move toward the positive. The outcome will be a cadre of routine as well as strategic supportive interactions that will prove to be an invaluable asset of well-being or to well-being. So the explanation, or I should say the exploration of looking at all the challenges uh, that will open up the floodgates for some opportunities. So we miss our opportunities because we don't accept our challenges. And when challenges are faced positively and care is provided with style, in other words, not fighting back, not being retaliatory, but looking for positive and more innovative ways to touch a person and help them meet their needs. And these opportunities, of course, include exactly what Francis said earlier. They include joy. They include peace. They include the contentment. And when we think about all of these, then caring for someone else and providing those social support situations or connecting with them with style. Yes, there are challenges. Yes, there are going to be a lot of those, but then the opportunities outweigh the challenges and then we get the job done. Thank you so much for tolerating me this morning and listening to what I have to say. 
Oh, Dr. TJ, this has been great. You continue to inspire people. And I know that our listeners will be inspired by what you have said. It, it, you know, it, and Alexis may have some other things to contribute, but, but a couple of thoughts, just kind of general thoughts came to my mind. One is that sometimes we are so close to the forest that we can't mm-hmm. see the trees. Mm-hmm. Yes. And particularly in the midst of caregiving, it can be extraordinarily intense. Yes. Yes. And so one of the things that support people, whether it's an individual or a group, what they do for us is help us see the trees. Yes. We are so in the midst of the forest that we can't see them. Um, I remember my husband worked with a group of men and they always joked about it but um that that they had this project they were supposed to accomplish and and that they needed to talk about it and so they started having lunch together Mm -hmm. they had lunch once a week for 30 years Mm -hmm. um and i think the group still does my my husband died several years ago so he's no longer but but they continued and so they have continued to journey together and be supportive as their, their ages changed and their health conditions changed mm-hmm. and they had children and the children grew up and, you know, um, spouses became ill and, and uh, you know, they, they journeyed with each other through all thick and thin. Um, I, I just, you know, I just kept thinking about them as you were talking. Yes. And, and I just want to ask too, is this a man thing? And I say that <laughs> because I have known several groups of men that would meet at Bojangles, McDonald's, Burger King, wherever. And they would go for breakfast. Um, they would get together and go for breakfast and maybe meet at nine o'clock in the morning and it's lunchtime and they're still there. <laughs> and, and many of them moved from the restaurant to the parking lot and, and and they communicated out of the back of their trucks and their vans or wherever and even to the point where I knew of one group took tables and chairs and would place them in the parking lot oh my goodness. and they would sit there and they would talk after they had enjoyed breakfast together so and, and I asked a question of course it's not just a man thing but this is one great way for men to meet to get together, to to talk about the problems that they're facing or to get some some consolation for whatever they need by sharing out in the open and they're feeling as if they're in charge because they're outdoors and they're controlling their environment, so to speak. So so that's a great man thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and I <laughs> had said at the very beginning that, that the social networks are typically more female-oriented. Yes. Yes. And so it really is important for men to find that support network yes. and to really be part of that, to inten- mm-hmm. be intentional about that. Because I think sometimes it is not quite so natural for yes. men. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Alexis, any parting parting with thoughts on your end? Um, I'm going to say this once again. I've said it like a billion times, but I really do enjoy this conversation. <laughs> um, it's very neat to know that all of these things are actually real. Like I did, I didn't think that men come together um, because it's more so women that usually come together uh, when it comes to things like that. And I, and I also feel like social interaction is one thing that we all need. Um, 
So as far as us aging, that is one thing that we can start on at an early age. So um, for me being in my 20s, I can start socializing a lot more um, just to get that started for me. Um, So as I age, there's no decline in memory or anything like that. So um, being engaged in activity is, is always a good thing. The key thing is making those connections. Uh, when our, We have two daughters. When they were younger, and then particularly when, as they graduated college and moved away, got their jobs and, and married and so forth, we always told them to make those connections where you know that you're in a network where someone, if you need something, you can get it. If they need something, you can provide it for them. Or working interdependently, you can help each other to meet those needs. And and thank God they held on to that. And they taught their children likewise. And now we have the two great-grands. And we're hoping that uh, they will be taught by that grandson who they belong to. That was the, the, the son of our youngest daughter, and he's now 27, have the two children, and he and his wife are doing a great job with them. So, And we're so looking forward to seeing them, hopefully Mother's Day, so I can hug the eight-month-old that I've never been able to touch. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, what, what both of you are saying is the developing support networks, yes. really you do it when times are good. Yes. You know, but this is not just exclusive to difficult times. This is this is enhancing to life at all points. Yes, but it is. It, but the support network is so critical at yes. those difficult times. And caregiving yes. certainly can can be one of those times of real intensity yes. and need for support. Yes. If you have your have your network in place, you just tap into it. If you don't have it in place, then you're wondering, oh, my God, what am I going to do? Right, right, right. This has been excellent. This has been important information, but a fun conversation. And Dr. TJ, thank you so much for all the wisdom and insight and and inspiration that you bring. And Alexis, it's always good to have you on on these podcasts. Thank you for being part of this. We want to thank also you listeners. Thank you for joining us. We hope that this has been helpful to you and that you share, you will share this podcast with others you think may benefit. Before we end, we definitely want to say a big thank you to Pace at Home in Hickory, North Carolina. Pace at Home has sponsored this podcast, and we are truly grateful for their, for their support. This program is part of the Mesh Network of online shows and podcasts. You may find more of our Caregiver Community Podcast on any of the platforms where you listen to podcasts, including our own website, www.acapcommunity.org. While you're on our site, we hope you will take a few minutes to learn more about ACAP, our educational programs, and our local chapters. And if there are any other topics you would like for us to address as a podcast, please do let us know. As we say so often in ACAP, regardless of your background, education, career, or anything else, when it's your mother, your father, your loved one, the journey of caring for and advocating for that person becomes very personal and extremely important. So please care well for your loved one, but also remember to take care of you. Stay well. Bye for now. You 
been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.